Genesis chapter 1. We're going to start there and work our way toward the end of the Bible. <laughs> you think I'm kidding. <laughs> um, when I was first in the ministry uh, over at uh, Nooksack Valley Baptist, now Christ Fellowship over in Everson, uh, my office was in a room like this at, at the at the in the old building and right behind the auditorium out here uh, a man named Bill Keppel had a trailer parked now some of you live in mobile homes but Bill lived in a trailer um, it was a classic uh, probably let's see that would have been in 1970 80 so this was probably something from the 50s or maybe 60s you know, about 40 feet long and kind of silver, not an Airstream, but, you know, kind of, kind of that old, uh, a true mobile home that people used to actually pick them up and move them from place to place once in a while. Bill was, um, you know, uh, probably uh, didn't have much money. He was a widower. And so the church let him park his mobile home right out there, and they hooked it all up for him, and, and that's where he lived. And... Uh, I, my office had an outside door on it, and every once in a while, uh, Bill would come in, or he would walk through, and and uh, he was kind of infirm, and I think he was in his 80s. He probably should have been in assisted living by that time, but he wasn't. And every so often, Bill would come over and accuse us of not giving him enough electricity. Now, you know, we had like a wire going to his mobile home, and in Bill's mind, <laughs> we were siphoning off about 40 or 50 volts. So he was getting the electricity, but it wasn't quite enough. And he thought we were causing his electrical problems in his mobile home. He thought the problem was on the sending end, but in reality the problem was on the receiving end when it came to his power issues. The wonderful reality of the Christian life is that God is sending all the power we can possibly use. When we have power problems in the Christian life, it's not on the sending end, it's on the receiving end. And I want to conclude this, this series of sermons that we've had the last three weeks on on strength and on living in God's strength, thinking about living in the power of God. God is sending power our way. We need to receive it and to use it. And so I want to start in Genesis chapter 1 and ask this simple question, how much power does God have? Well, in Genesis chapter 1, we read about the creation of the world. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. He called the light day, he called the darkness night. So the evening and morning were the first day. Then God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament, or what we call our atmosphere. And he divided the waters which were under, from the, under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and so it was. And God called the firmament 
heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. And we go on through the rest of creation. Let's drop down to verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Uh, the, 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 the first simple part of the answer to how much power to God, God has is this. God has enough power to create the world. Now, I'm not going to argue about creation and evolution today. I'm assuming that most of you here today believe in God, and you believe that he created the world. Where this becomes important for us who are believers is to stop and take note of how much power God has. God has enough power to create the world. The psalmist put it this way, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers up the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear him. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. How did God create he spoke it into existence. He said, let there be, let there be, and it was. How much power does God have? God has enough to create the world. Secondly, God has enough power to raise Jesus from the dead. In Ephesians 1, we read these words, what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand. Again, if I were to ask you to raise your hand, how many of you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead? I expect that the majority of you say, yes, I believe that. As well you should. God has enough power to raise someone from the dead. Thirdly, God has enough power to forgive sin and to impart a righteous nature. Do you remember this, uh, this story from uh, the life of Christ? Uh, he came along to a man who was paralyzed, and he said, uh, your sins are forgiven. And the people around looked at him and said, what in the world do you think you're doing? Nobody can forgive sins except God. Why are you saying such words? And he said, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or to say rise up and walk? He said, uh, well, let's just go down that road for a minute. So um, I could say to the man, your sins are forgiven, and you wouldn't know whether they were or they wouldn't. But if I say to the man, rise up and walk, you're going to know whether that happens or it doesn't. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And of course the man did. And immediately they got into a big conflab over carrying the bed on the Sabbath. Now wait, well, let's back that train up. <laughs> That's not the issue, is it? God says... He has the power to forgive sins. Again, if I took a poll, you would say, yes, I believe God has the power to forgive sins and to impart a righteous nature. 
We learn about that in 1 Corinthians 1. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. When we believe in Christ as our Savior, there is a power in that message that transforms us. The last uh, concept I would offer to you to say, how much power does God have? I would answer it this way, enough to do more than we can imagine. Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Uh, in Greek, you can stack words up to increase the emphasis on what you're saying. In, in English, it's considered bad grammar. It's called being superfluous or being redundant. He does it here when he says, exceedingly, abundantly, above. He could have just said above, and it just means above, but he said, no, it's exceedingly, abundantly, above. It would be like me saying I have uh, more money than uh, this fine young Russell lad right here. And you'd go, well, that isn't very much. But if I said I have more money than Rockefeller or whoever, you'd say, wow, that's really a lot. Here he stacked these words up and he says, exceedingly, abundantly above. God has that much power. Now, the, the, the big question, uh, there's two other big questions we have to ask. So if God has all that power, how does he exert that power? Well, first of all, God exerts his power directly. Last week, we used uh, an example from the life of David, and I want to refer to that again this week. Um, King Nebuchadnezzar, remember last week we talked about the idea that King Nebuchadnezzar received a vision, sort of a dream from God, and he called on Daniel, uh, he called on the wise men to interpret it. Daniel was able to interpret it, and the interpretation was the beginning of God revealing what the rest of history is going to be like. And Daniel actually, or uh, God gave a series of visions in the life of Daniel in different means. And Daniel has revealed to us history from his point until the conclusion of history. It's a very substantial book when it comes to uh, eschatology or last things. But the first vision said, Nebuchadnezzar, you're the head of gold. You're a great king. And then there's these other that are going to come after you. And when that vision was done, Daniel was rewarded. But Nebuchadnezzar was swelled up with pride. I'm the head of gold. And as he thought about this, he figured out what he needed to do. And uh, he uh, made this statue. And he said his statue was 90 feet tall and 10 feet wide. And he said, I want everybody to worship when the music plays. And we talked all about that. But when that was all over, God came along and said, Buddy, you're on thin ice. And instead of Nebuchadnezzar falling down before God, Nebuchadnezzar eventually was swelled with pride again. And God went, oh, just like that. What did God do? God struck him with insanity. And it says that he ate grass like an animal. And they, if, I, if I was to paraphrase, I would say they put him out to pasture in the palace, literally. But at the 
end of a period of time, here's what we read. King Nebuchadnezzar, these are his words. He said, at the end of this time period of insanity, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me. And I, and I think there, I don't think it's a stretch to say his lifting his eyes to heaven was him going, okay, God, I get it. And you'll, you'll see that in just a minute. So this is the beginning of his spiritual change. I, my understanding returned to me. I blessed the Most High and I praised and honored Him who lives forever for His rule is an everlasting rule and His kingdom is from generation to generation. All of the inhabitants of the earth are reputed or reported to be as nothing. He does according to His will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? How does God exert his power? There are times when God exerts his power directly. He says, bud, you've messed up. Can God do that? Yes, he can. Nebuchadnezzar, this ungodly king, said, you know what, I was wrong about who the big dog is. And, and this last phrase ought to inform you right here. There are a lot of people in the Christian world who like to say this, it's okay to be angry at God. He's got big shoulders. Don't you do it. God does have big shoulders, but he does not intend for you to look up to heaven and say, what have you done? God exerts his power directly. When God decides to do something, nothing stops him. Now that frustrates us a bit because we often wonder why he doesn't do certain things that we think need to be done and we think they need to be done right now. But that does not diminish the power of God. Rather, it emphasizes the difference of what he is doing and how he is doing it and what is the, the total thing he is trying to accomplish. So God exerts his power directly. Secondly, God exerts his power through his word. Through his word. You're familiar with this verse, perhaps. The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. God exerts power through the word. The word of God is like the gasoline in an automobile. It powers the automobile. The Word of God is like food that gives energy to a person who's hungry and tired. The Word of God is like the explosive power that propels fireworks into the sky. This is the chief means for God to mediate or to send His power to us. That's what this promise means right here. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Without doubt the primary means of God sending his power to us as Christians is through the word of God. Number three, God exerts his power through believers. And he does that. There are several ways that the scripture specifically tells us that God has chosen to work through believers 
um, uh, over time. The first is expressing scripture. 2 Peter 1.21, no prophecy ever came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. How do we have the Bible? God reached down and into the mind of Paul. He said, Paul, here's what I want you to write, and Paul wrote it down. Now, when Paul wrote it, Paul, was, Paul thought, I am writing to the Philippians about God's truth, and I'm writing to the Thessalonians, and, and, and he thought he was bringing to bear all of the things out of the Old Testament that he learned as a, as a rabbi, and, and he, all of these things, and he brought this all together. There's a problem over there. Paul thought he was all involved in this, and he was, and God used all of that and caused Paul to write exactly what needed to be written for that time and this day. God worked through a believer. Now, frankly, when I come to work every day, here at the church, I try to think of what I'm supposed to do, and I I never feel like, bolt out of the blue, God just worked through me. I feel it coming. And I don't think the Apostle Paul felt that way either. Now, I believe by the Scripture that I'm doing what God says, but I don't know exactly when God is doing some specific thing. And I don't think the Apostle Paul knew it either. But as as he and, and, and us, as we try to live our lives for God, God works through us. And one of the things he did through the apostles was express the scripture. And he'll express the scripture through us as we repeat it to other people. Um, the second thing that God, second way that he exerts power through believers is endowing ability or spiritual gifts. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brother, and I don't want you to be ignorant. There are diversities of gifts, but they all come from the same Holy Spirit. There are diversities of activities, but it's one God who works all in all. And so God works through believers. Uh, some, some folks uh, prepared the welcome room for us. Uh, some folks taught Sunday school to children today. Uh, the worship team led us in worship. There are all kinds of ways that God is working through believers, through spiritual gift. He's given us a gift, and he's working through that to cause things to happen. And right in line with that, he's empowering ministry. Then from Colossians 1, the Apostle Paul, speaking of himself, he said, We preach Christ, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. The Apostle Paul knew from God's truth that whatever ministry he does is done by God through him, and that is the same thing for us. God exerts power through us. Lastly, he enables growth in the individual believer. It is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. When you do something godly, it is because God is in you working. God exerts power through believers God exerts power through the body of Christ. I don't know if we think about this often enough, but there are clear examples in the New Testament of how God works through the body in conjunction with how he works in individuals. It's not totally separate, but it is unique. In the name, here's an example of of church discipline. 
uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul told the Corinthian church, in the name of the Lord Jesus, when you are gathered together, along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Clearly, God says there are some times when a church has to act together in order to accomplish God's will, both for the Lord and for individuals that it affects, but we have to work together, and God exerts power through that. It is God's will. Uh, Similarly, when it comes to what we would call regular ministry on Sunday, here he says if everybody prophesies and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he's convinced by all, but he's convicted He is convinced by all, he is convicted by all, and thus the secrets of his hearts are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. It should not be a point of pride, it should be a point of thanksgiving that people should say to us, there's something going on here in your church. People should come in and say, you know what, you know, if they're an unbeliever, they should come in and say, I'm not sure what's going on, but something unique is here. I've been to the PTA meeting, I've been to the football game, I've been to my club meeting, I've been here, I've been there, but you know, something different is going on. God should be speaking through us, not just through me, through us. And there should be an evidence of that. People should perceive that. There is something unique about the body of Christ gathered that is not the same as the body of Christ when it's dispersed. We ought to worship individually, but we have to worship together because God intends to do some unique things through us. Now, perhaps the, the point that... that uh, well, and here... and. The last point here, God exerts power through the body of Christ. Now, how do I obtain that power? How does that power become active in me? Uh, I suspect that the first point that I made that God has power was was a review for you. And I suspect you learned a few new things as we made the second point, but right here, right now, how do I obtain that power? And number one, I must pray for the direct exertion of his power. How do I tap into the direct exertion of God's power? When King Nebuchadnezzar received that vision from God, and he wanted to know what the vision meant, and he called for all the wise men, and and eventually Daniel came and said, don't kill all the wise men because they've been fooling you. He said, "I'm I'm going to give you the interpretation. I'm going to tell you what the dream was, and I'm going to tell you the interpretation. But before that, before he actually did that, when he heard the king has put out the word that he's going to kill all the wise men because some of them went to him and and were kind of pulling him along a little bit about this dream, and he got so mad, he said, I'm going to kill all the wise men, which includes Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So what did Daniel do as soon as, as he heard that? Here's what he did. So Daniel went in and he asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret so that Daniel and his companions might not perish. Daniel was praying for his life. Okay? 
The point is this. Daniel said, wow, I'm going to die because this king is mad. What did he do? He said, come on, guys, let's have a prayer meeting. And let's seek God's mercy. Now, like other episodes in the book of Daniel, Daniel or his friends, there were times when they didn't know what God was going to do, but they knew the starting point was to pray for God's help. Now, uh, think about what Daniel needs here. Daniel needs to know the dream of the king. The king won't tell. He, He knew if he told the dream that the wise men would make something up. That's why he was so angry. So Daniel needs to know what was in the king's mind. How in the world can that possibly happen? It can only happen by the direct intervention of God. There are some things only God can do. I made a short list. You might think of some others. One of them is heal your body. I don't know if you know this, but the doctor doesn't heal you. The doctor is not the healer. The doctor is the helper. God is the healer. God has assigned a a time frame to your life, and when that time frame is over, you're going to heaven. If you're a believer, you're going to hell if you're not. But God has assigned a time frame. The doctor will not extend your life. It might look like he extends your life earlier on, but he is not going to extend it past that day. God has set a limit. And God has a plan for your life. And God may use the doctor to heal you, but God is the healer. When you need healing, you should pray to God, not trust in the doctor. You seek the doctor's help, but you trust in God and you pray to God. Only God can change somebody's mind. We can change people's behavior if we have enough power. If I have enough money... I might be able to corrupt you to do something. If I have enough physical power over you, I might be able to abuse you into doing something. If I have the threat of your job, I might be able to coerce you into doing something. There are ways to conform people's behavior, but only God can change somebody's mind. And so when that needs to happen, we need to go to prayer. Only God can defeat Satan and his his armies. Um, Ephesians chapter 6 says put on the whole armor of God because we are fighting against powers and principalities in the heavenlies and at the end of that passage he says therefore pray I can't see the demons I can't see the devil Um, there are times when I think I see their impact but I truly don't know and so in the model prayer uh, Christ told the disciples pray this way Protect us from the evil one. Only God can do that. And, and frankly, we don't know when something in our life is the result of Satan, and so we're praying for God to help us, and we may not even know that there's a battle going on with the armies of, of God and the armies of Satan over something in our life or something around us, but only God can defeat Satan. And the last one I would just put on my short list is this. Only God can open the eyes of an unbeliever to the gospel. We're learn, trying to learn some things in Sunday school about how we can talk intelligently about the gospel and Christian faith to those who don't know the Lord. And, and yet we, we have to know that only God can open the eyes of an unbeliever. If I want the power of God to be brought to bear on my life, 
and my life circumstances, I need to pray. It's very simple. Christ said to pray. The Bible says it throughout. And so I would just ask you this. Are you praying for miracles? See, we're talking about miracles here. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people on TV that want to talk to you about miracles and have some fantastic story about some guy who was in a coffin in a church in South Africa and they were preaching and he got up and he was brought back to life. Everybody sends money to this guy and so on. You know what the greatest miracles of all are? Are the miracles right here. When we have some impossible circumstance in our life and we think, that, how can that change? When you're Daniel facing death or figuring out what's in somebody else's mind and you're going, how in the world can I do this thing? We're praying for miracles. There's one right there we need to pray for. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, my, my, my grandson in eastern Washington prayed to receive Christ this week with his mother. That's a miracle. It's a miracle. He's a little kid. Okay. Are you praying for miracles? We shouldn't shy away from it. Now, our problem is, of course, that most of the miracles that people tend to think about are, are you know, uh, you remember last week I was, I was after that, Dodge, I'm mistaken, a Chrysler 300. You know, and we're thinking, oh God, give me the Chrysler 300. What a stupid prayer. There are real, there are real miracles that we need. And we need to be praying for miracles because God can do them. He has enough power to do exceedingly abundantly above what we ask or think. Are you praying for miracles? Are you praying for God to change you? If I want God's power, I need to pray for the direct exertion of it. Number two, how do I obtain the power of God? I must obey his powerful word. I must obey his powerful word. Uh, this is certainly the one that we, we talk about this the most. We talk about believing the word and practicing the word, but... Have you really grasped the idea that the Word of God is powerful and it changes you? This begins with salvation. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, you know, the, the truth that Christ died on the cross, that he, that he was the Son of God, that you're a sinner and that you can only be saved by Him. The gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God which results in salvation to those who believe. Now, again, if I do you believe that? Probably everybody here believes that. But it sets in motion a principle that you need to grasp, which is, this is powerful. If you will believe God's truth to the extent that you attempt to do God's truth, it will change you. The Word of God is powerful. The impact of the Word of God has to continue through the Christian life, with many challenging commandments. There are miracles that need to happen in our Christian life, and they can if we will obey the Word of God. 
When we obey the word of God, it changes us. When you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectively works in you who believe. Here are some miracles that we need the word of God to do in us. Love your enemies. I don't know who you consider to be your non-friends, But God says it's possible. He says right here it's possible to love your enemies. He says it's possible to say no to temptation. He says it's possible to humble yourself. He says it's possible to reach unbelievers with the world, with the, for the Lord. He says it's possible to keep ourselves sexually pure before marriage and during marriage. When we obey the word of God, when we say, that is the word of God, I will do it, it changes us. It works effectively. It has an impact in those who believe. And you actually become a different person, a righteous person. Number three, if I want to obtain the power of God, I must accept the assignments God gives me. Now, what do I mean by the assignments that God gives me? Well, here's an example from the life of Paul. And if you go back and look at all the timing of when this thing happened, it's, it's even more instructive than the truth on its, on its face. As part of Paul's preparation to be the guy that we call the Apostle Paul, He spent some time studying, he spent some time being tutored and being taught, and he had a vision from God of things in heaven, and because that vision was so magnificent, God said, that guy is going to be tempted to be proud. And so I'm going to give him a thorn in the flesh. Now, nowhere in the scripture does it tell us the thorn in the flesh. Some people have surmised it had to do with his eyesight being diminished because of some clues we get in the scripture. Other thoughts have been put forward. Whatever it was, it was a physical limitation on his ministry. And here's what, it was an assignment from God. That's that's why I'm, I'm bringing this to you. Paul didn't, he didn't even do anything bad to where God needed to chastise him. You know, sometimes we just plain are living in sin and God comes along and gives us one of those to get us to come back to him. And we really deserve whatever's happened. But Paul hadn't done that. He, he's preparing for the ministry and he has this vision and God says, you know what, I'm going to have to give him one more thing to make him a really good minister and that is a problem that will never go away as long as he lives. And when God brings those things to our life that we can't get rid of, those are his assignments. And here's what Paul said about that assignment. Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to beat me lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I asked God to take it away. And he said to me, you know what? My power, what I'm going to do in you is sufficient. It's enough. My strength is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says, okay, then I will boast in my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest on me. God is going to ask us 
to live in conditions and to accomplish things that seem impossible at times. The Apostle Paul could have spent his life fighting it. But he said, you know what? This is from the Lord. I'm going to accept this, and I'm going to know that when God does something through me, it's God doing something through me. It's not me and my greatness doing something. And so he accepted that assignment from God to live with a difficulty. He put it this way in 2 Corinthians uh, 4. We have this treasure, the treasurer of Christ in an earthen vessel so that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of him. God is going to give us assignments, some that are short-term, some that are long-term, that we need to receive and work on even though we think, I can't do this. Because when we embrace those assignments, we're saying, okay, God, I'm not enough, but you are. Your power is beyond what I can imagine, so I receive this assignment. I will live this assignment. I will work on this assignment, and I will trust you to make something happen. I received a, a request from a friend this week outside of our church to work on a problem. Uh, his church has a, a problem, and they need somebody to help with it. And not only did he ask, but he said, you know, there's this other pastor that we think might be able to work with you um, and would bring something to the team. And I said, great, it was somebody that I knew. And, uh, and so I got off the phone with him. I called this other pastor. I said, brother, uh, here's a situation as I know it, and this church wants us to work on this. And he said he'd be glad to work on it. But he also said this about this problem. He said, it might be impossible to resolve. And when he said that, I thought, yeah, I agree with that. I think it might be impossible. Uh, and I would modify it just one bit to say this. The only way that assignment is going to turn out positive <laughs> is if God shows up. And so both that pastor and myself said, we'll try. God is going to bring you assignments like that. It might be something in your family. It might be something at church. It might be something in your Sunday school class. It might be that little boy that ran down the aisle. Somebody's going to come to you and say, would you help in Awana? And you go, whoa, that's impossible. I'm old, I'm young, I'm single, I'm married, I have all these disqualifiers. Above all, that just looks hard. Or even worse, somebody's going to ask you to teach a Sunday school class. Oh. I don't know if you should do everything everybody asks you to do, but I know this. If the reason you're saying no is because you feel weak, you're probably in the right spot to do that thing. If you will not only feel weak, but if you'll say, oh God, I can't do this. Would you please do it through me? We need to remember this principle. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. 
We're not talking about living in our own power. We're not talking about gathering up a bunch of stuff and then going out and doing the Lord's work. We're talking about us being the channel of God's work. The last thing that I would share with you about obtaining the power of God is this. I must collaborate with the body of Christ. I must collaborate with the body of Christ. Christ has chosen to focus, his, to focus his ministry through the body of Christ. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. God has chosen to bring us together and to do things through us, and I have got to collaborate with him if I want to know the power of God in my life. In our American society, we put a high value on the individual experience, the individual life. I personally, by myself, have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And when somebody comes around and says, you know what, we need to work together on something, we think, well, I'm not sure if I want to work together. I'm not sure if that suits me. Whereas God says, look, the body is one. And it has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body. So also is Christ. But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where, in other words, if we were all one kind, it wouldn't be a body. But now, indeed, there are many kinds, yet one body. And the, throughout this chapter, 1 Corinthians 12, he makes this great point. Look, you've got a gift, and you've got a gift, and you've got a gift, but together we are more than the sum of our parts. God does work in us as individual Christians. We will give an answer to God individually for how we've lived our life. And yet he wants to work through the whole group the whole body of Christ to accomplish things only the greater body of Christ can do. I, I don't know about you, but every time I hear from one of our people who's been out doing the Lord's work, that just blesses me. I'm just so blessed to stand here next to Helen Steele and to call her my colleague, or, or more so to call myself her colleague. I think, what, what, a, what a, a dedicated servant of the Lord. And, and I can't go to Greece, and, and from what she said, I'm not sure if I'd want to. But the Lord has burdened her, and, and that's a needy country. I don't know if you know it, but there's very few evangelical churches. There's one Bible college in the whole country. The president of that Bible college told me there's more Bible colleges in the Ukraine than there is in Greece. And remember what language the New Testament was written in. Greek. Places a, a spiritual, uh, uh, a spiritual famine over there. But we're partners. We can help support her financially. We can pray for her and... When the Lord enables, we can go over there and do something with her, but we're partners. I, I love, I, I'm proud to stand by Andrew and, and our high school young people as they go to Camp Gilead and work. Um, you know, I, I spent a lot, of, a lot of different time frames at Gilead and other Christian camps. I love that. But I can't do that now, but, but they can, and we're partners together. And, and, and the whole family of Camp Gilead churches and and I could go on and talk about, you know, a work as big as the, the new hospital in Togo or, uh, you know, doctors and nurses to staff that. But I could also talk about 
being able as a church body together to share in a financial need with somebody here in the body. What a great thing to partner together, to collaborate. It was common years ago for people to think that they hired the pastor to do the ministry, all of the ministry. But it's just so crazy to think that any one person could do what is needed in a group just this size. Can any one person reach this town for Christ? Can any one person send missionaries to a foreign country? God has told us to work together, and when we do, his power is unleashed in unique ways. This week uh, marks uh, the end of 11 years for us uh, here at this church and also living on Sunview Place. And uh, we're still not done fixing up the house. Got a few more things to go. But... uh, had a great time. I, I love, people say, what's your hobby? You know, fixing up my house is my hobby. I just love the tools. I love the dirt. And I love doing stuff. And I love getting it done and saying, wow, that, that's a good project. And, you know, I've looked back at some of those projects, like putting a roof on the house. When I got done, I thought, Lord, why did I ever start that? Well, I started it because the bank said they wouldn't give us a loan unless I did. That's why. But you know, all this time, until recent years, I've never had to look at a project and say, I wonder if I've got enough physical strength to accomplish that. When I looked at the roof, I had to think it all through and think through the materials and you know, phase it out and went through a whole mental process. But I never said, I wonder if I can physically get up there and do it. Now, when I look at projects, I'm thinking, my first thought is, Is Garrett Love available tomorrow? (laughs) See, I get him to do all the heavy lifting, and I just say, you know. I mean, I'm I'm not exaggerating much. If I'm going to go out and dig, I'm only going to dig for a little while because, you know, I've got some weakness. I don't have all the strength that I need physically. But... The Christian life is not like that. We don't ever need to look at something and say, am I strong enough for that? The question we need to always ask is, is God strong enough for that? Yep. Okay, God, I'm yours. I'll go if that's what you want, and I'll wait to see what you do. God has an unlimited supply of power. He longs to channel it through us. We just need to tap that power by saying yes and doing what he asks. Heavenly Father, make your power known through us, both as individuals and as a body. We want to do your work. We want to reach people for you. We want to take those hard assignments. Father, you've given us some right here, right now. Help us to take those hard assignments and to say, I can't do it, but... Christ can do it in me. Father, show yourself powerful in those situations. Help us to be your servants. Help us to live in your power, not make excuses because of our fear. I pray in Christ's name, amen.